welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. We are back in your ears and we are ready to talk FAWSL. If you're joining us for the first time after the Olympics, hi, great to have you here. We're stoked you're here. If you've been around, you know, a long time with us, also hi, stoked you're still here. Love that you, you've stuck around. But um, we're stoked to be back after a break from what was a hectic Olympic schedule, but we are now ready and rearing to go with some FAWSL action. So we'll be previewing the Tillies. We've got a bunch of them in the competition and everything kicks off this coming weekend. So it's me, Marissa Lordanik, Sam Lewis, Angela Christian Wilkes and Anna Harrington ready to take you through all the bits and bobs you need to know. So let's start. We'll go alphabetically because that's a nice way to organize things but we'll start with some chat about the Aussies at Arsenal there's always an abundance of them we've still got three no more Joe Montemuro at the helm of the club but we've still got Steph Catley Lydia Williams and Caitlin Ford so let's talk about those three girls in particular Harrow I know you were excited about Steph Catley in particular why She's effectively a new recruit, isn't she, Marissa? And great to be back. It, it feels like a long, long break for us, but um, nice to be back chatting with everyone. Um, it, it, she feels like a new recruit for Arsenal. We barely saw her last year between serious calf injury, the serious hamstring injury, concussions. Like She just could not get a run at it. But the really exciting thing, she's come off a brilliant Olympics campaign with the Matildas where she showed her versatility showed her attacking prowess, everything that we know is good about Steph Catley and more. She seems to just keep getting better as a player. And I think she's going to be huge for Arsenal. Like, I think they really missed what she could do. Katie McCabe, to her credit, had a fantastic season last year. But having had a look at their early Champions League qualifiers, they've pushed McCabe up the field as the other natural left footer and played Steph as her more natural uh, left back role. And they've been overlapping and doing all sorts of damage. So, it's really exciting. She's such a key player for the Matildas. I think people, um, we talked about this when we were talking about the Olympics, um, people had almost forgotten just how high quality a player she is, especially with how quickly Ellie Carpenter has gone on on that right-hand side. She's a phenomenal player. And I think we were all really excited when she joined Arsenal about what she could do. And I, I think this might be the season where we finally get to see it. Um, I'm not sure if the new manager... Um, Jonas Idevel, it takes such a small squad approach as Joe Montemuro because clearly we saw a lot of injuries build up at Arsenal last year and you hope that they can have a better run this year. But, yeah, I'm super excited to see how things go with Steph Catley. On the flip side, I'm also excited to see if Caitlin Ford can back up. Uh, she had such a brilliant first season at Arsenal. She was involved in so many goals, creating them, scoring them, doing it from basically everywhere, cutting inside at times. When they rested um, Vivian Miedema, they played her more central, especially with Nikita Paris coming into that lineup. It's a really, really stacked attack. We've already seen Lisa Evans go off to West Ham on loan because they are just so stacked um, in attack. I don't think Caitlin Ford probably had the Olympics campaign she would have wanted. Um, wasn't really Her most influential game was in the bronze medal match, I'd argue. She had a couple of highlights, but she wasn't dominant. So I think there will be a little bit of pressure on her to kick on at Arsenal having had such a good season last year. So I'm excited about Catley and um, Ford, but for different reasons. Catley, because I think the sky's the limit and she's just got the ability now to really kick on after not really setting any expectations last season. Whereas for Caitlin Ford, it's the opposite. She set the expectations. She set her own bar super high. And now it's about matching that and going one better. Um, so that's exciting. Sam? 
Yeah, sort of bouncing off that, Harrow, another player that I am excited to see if they can not really back it up because they didn't really have much to back up. But Lydia Williams, you know, she signed on with Arsenal for another season and there's a plane going over me right now, which is very well-timed. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. <laughs> Take off. <laughs> but speaking of, you know, players who didn't perhaps have the Olympics that they may have expected to have, Williams barely featured in the Matildas run in Tokyo. And, you know, I think with fair reason, Tegan Micah sort of came into that starting goalkeeper position and absolutely blew it out of the water. So, I'm curious to see how Lydia Williams responds to that because I think pre-Olympics we were all in agreement that at least Mackenzie Arnold was probably in contention for dropping out of that second goalkeeper spot but I don't think any of us really expected Williams to all of a sudden be down in the pecking order so I'm really curious now to see if Williams responds to that shake-up in Matilda's duty in her club form and if she really starts to put her best foot forward and compete for a regular starting position as their number one goalkeeper at Arsenal, especially now that, uh, you know, with a new head coach, he may not have the same kind of rotational system Mm -hmm. that Montemuro did last season where he regularly switched out Williams and Manuel Zinsberger. I'm not sure if Edeval has that same kind of approach to goalkeepers. Maybe he just likes to stick with one. Uh, in which case I like I hope Williams sort of steps up into that pressure and, and really takes it on because I don't think a goalkeeping career is done by any stretch and heading into 2023 she's going to be our most ex- one of our most experienced players across perhaps the entire squad. Um, so yeah so I'd like to see her kick on but another player that I'm really excited to see outside of the Australians but sticking more perhaps with Asia is Mana Iwabuchi who moved across to Arsenal um, after her season with Aston Villa last year. And she has already sort of started off with with a bit of a bang. She scored for Arsenal in preseason, I think, against Chelsea, uh, which they won. And she is just looking like an absolute flying player. She's reconnected up with uh, Vivian Miedemar. The two of them used to play together in Germany. Um, and she's just a really, really special player who I think really shone in Tokyo as well. So I'm keen to, outside of the Aussies, I'm keen to see more Asian players start to take on some, some bigger, more influential roles across this competition. Um, and hopefully Iwabuchi at Arsenal will do that. Sam, just back on Lydia Williams as well. I, I think she has to seal that starting goalkeeper role this year yeah. at Arsenal. She's gone for one more year. The thing that worries me is I'm fairly certain Zinsberg is on more of a long-term deal. Like I think she might have signed a three-year deal. Um, so clearly they see a future for her there. Lydia Williams is older. She's signed on for another year. But we can't afford to, or she can't afford to, sitting on the pine the whole time because that's when you're more susceptible to clangers when you actually do play it's difficult to actually make the squad and we know that Mackenzie Arnold played her out of played herself out of a spot in Tokyo but she's surely going to be playing every week at West Ham so if Tegan Mike is playing every week and Mackenzie Arnold's playing every week and she can improve again Lydia Williams needs to be playing every week or close to every week as well so it's it's a tough one. And yeah, Sam, with Irobuchi, she was scoring in those Champions League qualifiers and linking up beautifully. It, it seems like such a stacked attack. Like with Irobuchi, we mentioned Ford, Nikita Paris coming in after the, a golden boot season at Lyon returning to England. And we know how dominant she was for Manchester City there. It's going to be really interesting to see the balance that they strike and the role that Caitlin Ford plays. Like, are we going to see a 4-4-2? How do they use Katie McCabe? How do they use Steph Catley? Like, there just seems so many moving parts, like exciting moving parts. <laughs> like, so I'm actually quite excited to see what Arsenal can deliver this year just based on those reshuffles they've made. I am kind of keen to see 
Arsenal's defence, especially their centre-backs this season and how they go about developing that area of the field, um, especially with Williamson and Wobben Moy as well and seeing if they continue to pair up, um, especially reflecting um, the national team setup as well. But, yeah, I'm, I'm keen for Arsenal. I think this sort of their recruitment um, looks like Jonas has tried to just tweak it so they're going to the next level because they were lacking a little something-something last season and sort of gave away some matches that they shouldn't have. And so it looks like they're just trying to, I guess, formalise and is that the right word? Formidable. I was thinking of formidable. Make themselves look more formidable again and more like the scary arsenal of of old. Um, so, yeah, it should be exciting. And they've been doing a lot of stuff um, off the field as well behind the scenes to try and match clubs like Chelsea in terms of support and, and you know, medicine and physio and that sort of thing, which was a massive area for improvement last season. So that should be exciting to see how that goes as well. Angela, I've got the big question for you. Can Vivian Medema reclaim the golden boot? I just looking at what they're doing, I don't know if it's gonna be if it's gonna be the Vivian Medema show this season. Like I think she will still be no no doubt really, really important, but the sort of um attacking strength that they're bringing in with the likes of Paris and um Iwabuchi as well, it's it looks like it's just going to be more, I don't know, Arsenal, I say that, but Arsenal have always had really good, like, goal scorers across the field. So maybe I'm just talking shit. I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't think so. But I don't know. I think this this one's going to be a spicy meatball. I would like it to be so, but I don't think so. Just in I do sort of feel like maybe that was the purpose of some of these recruitments as well, because Arsenal did have, I think, a bit of an over-reliance on Miedema in a lot of that last season um, and particularly when it came to Champions League as well like if you were able if you were a team who was smart enough to just put two centre-backs on Vivian Miedemar you had to depend on players like Ford or McCabe or Akim Little coming through the middle in order to score those goals but Miedemar is pretty much irreplaceable when it comes to her goal return so how do you how do you sort of diversify I guess your attacking lineup in terms of that if because she's sort of going to be facing I think the same problem that maybe Sam Kerr is going to be facing this season which is that you're one of the best attackers in the whole world how uh, is the rest of the team going to respond when you've you've been, been marked out of the game effectively I think that's what Arsenal that's a question Arsenal couldn't answer last season but I feel like with the recruitments this season they're a little bit more capable of doing that more multi-dimensional uh less predictability, like those things are generally good. Look at Chelsea. That was their strength last year, just having so many different lines, so many different players that could hurt you. And looking at how stacked that Arsenal attacking group is, like some of them are going to have to come off the bench. And I think that's where you separate the good teams from like the champions. You can call upon quality off the bench. You you can cover for injuries. You're not over-reliant on one or two key players. But that's what the difference was between Chelsea and the rest last season. If Arsenal realistically want to put themselves back up in that top two conversation, because they've been a clear third as of last season, well, the last two seasons, really, it's that's what they got to do. So it's exciting. I can, I, can I do my divorce dance story? <laughs> oh. Anyway, so for those listening, um, I actually grew up in London Colney um, where Arsenal are based um, and I went to school with 
Taya Goldie's sister. So Taya Goldie is a, I think she's just turned 17. She's an up and coming player. She's is very exciting and it, she's gotten some senior call-ups recently and um, was in the Champos, the first leg of the Champos. She's all very excited. So for me, it's just like, oh, you, you when you were a baby, oh, when you were in a pram, oh, when you were this boy. <laughs> she has no idea who I am, I'm sure. Just, but anyway, that, so it's real cute. Taya Goldie, keep an eye out. Let's keep an eye out on someone else that Angela can claim to know just by virtue of being Australian, Sam Kerr and Chelsea. That's my segue. It's a terrible segue, but I don't care. Um, But, no, you guys raised a lot of kind of valid points with Arsenal that I think also kind of can be asked of Chelsea in the sense of can they back it up? Can Sam Kerr back it up? Is she going to go for the golden boot again? Are they going to? kind of plateau, go that one step further? Are they going to fall behind some of the other uh, chasing teams? So, Harrow, what are your thoughts and onions on that one? I mean, they're the team to be, aren't they? Like, they've only strengthened in terms of recruiting. They've added a couple of defensive players in. I just, if I know Sam Kerr's largely been in the break um, post-Olympics, but she's back in training. She's back, I think, made an appearance off the bench in their friendly the other day. She knows what to do at this level. I think all the question marks over Sam Kerr were really ahead of last season as to whether she could breathe. She knows she can. She's a confidence player. Yeah, teams will be trying to stop her, but they tried to stop her all last season and she was sensational. I think the most difficult thing is how is Frank Kirby looking? Because we know that she had that injury knock at the Olympics and obviously wasn't really at full fitness throughout that tournament. Um, if she can sort of get some fitness, and that's that's crucial because their partnership was so dynamic and really, really important. The thing I'm interested in with Chelsea is how Penel Harder goes after a full pre-season, like a really full pre-season in that environment because I think, I know she scored very early on, but I don't think she ever really fully hit her straps last season in terms of the form we've seen her play for, for club and country in the past. My expectations for Sam Kerr are to contend for the golden boot again. I think that's what her expectations would be. She was so fantastic last season. She carried that. I know she wasn't great in our friendlies, but she carried that goal-scoring form into the Olympics. She knows she can do it. She's always going to be difficult to handle in terms of her athletic attributes, her smarts. Uh, Teams will obviously be trying to counter that better this season, and that's where the challenge is for her is to back up. But the thing we know about Sam Kerr is she's done it before. It's happened in the US. She's taken a league by storm. Teams have tried to counter it. And she's just kept scoring. It happened in the W League time and time again. For me, there's no reason to believe that she can't go again and contend for the golden boot, be a really strong and successful player in this Chelsea outfit again. I think she'd have all the self-confidence in the world that she can do it. And, um, yeah, I mean... The pressure is there to back up, but I just think she's a sort of player that knows she can and will. I think the big difference when we talk about the FAWSL compared to those other leagues that Sam Kerr has played in is that defenders in this league, I think, are a lot better than what they are in the W League and in the NWSL. And I think Sam Kerr's incredible last season was partly because defenders just weren't used to her. They, they hadn't played against her before largely. And so she came as a bit of a shock. And so I'm curious in the, in a similar sort of way, Harry, whether she can back it up now that 
opposition players are much more educated and they're much more familiar with her style, with what she can do, with her habits, with all the little things that she does one-on-one on a field. And I think that sort of folds into why perhaps Chelsea have brought in Lauren James from Manchester United. Similar discussion to what we were just saying with Arsenal. They're needing to diversify because perhaps there is a prediction from Emma Hayes that opposition defenders are going to be like, all right, Sam Kerr clearly is like an absolute boss at this. We need to adjust our defensive system. We need to adjust the way that we play in order to keep her as quiet as possible. And so Emma Hayes has done a smart Emma Hayes thing and be like, all right, well, I'll just bring in one of the greatest young strikers England has currently produced right now in Lauren James. And so being able to diversify in that respect, I think is, is going to be exciting to see. And whether or not Lauren James sort of steps up to that, that mantle and, and perhaps puts her, her, her name really up in lights because she, I think, came into the FAWSL with Man United with a bit, a bit of a reputation that had been untested. I feel like maybe she didn't live up to that reputation last season so much because United had, you know, Kristen Press and Tobin Heath come in and you're not going to push them to the side to, to bring in a young striker. Um, so, yeah, I'd be curious to see how, how James fits into this whole system and whether perhaps Emma Hayes' experience in terms of their Champions League run and getting toward right to the end of that tournament and seeing that the team was quite... Um, exhausted and knowing that they need to start to rotate a little bit better and find different ways of attacking different kinds of teams, whether that is going to sort of help in that respect. And uh, sticking, I guess, with young players as well, I'm really excited to see uh, Jessie Fleming hopefully start to get a little bit more of a look in. You know, she won a gold medal with Canada at Tokyo, which was excellent. She scored a bunch of penalties. She That was, you know, I think a tournament that not a lot of people expected because she didn't really do very much for Chelsea in the season that she was there. So, yeah, really keen to see Fleming, keen to see James, obviously keen to see Sam Kerr um, and keen to see, I think, Chelsea, you know, maybe really take it to the end of the Champions League this time around as well, because I feel like now this is the kind of squad that can do it. Well, that's the thing, Sam, is they they would be, they would have left that last season feeling like they've got unfinished business because they were humiliated in the Champions League final. They were all conquering all but, I think, one cup in their domestic um, season and then they went so far and Barcelona Barcelona just route, like just destroyed them so there'll be a lot of stung pride going in there'll be players like Sam Kerr and Magda Eriksson who will have fallen short of the achievements they won at the Olympics in terms of Sam Kerr wanting a medal Magda Eriksson wanting a gold there'll be players that will have real fire in the belly coming into this and I, I like your point about diversifying their lineup because once you're the hunted everyone knows what you've got to do so you've got to stay one step ahead uh, there's a level of, you know what we can do, but yeah, you've got to stop it, which is is part of the thing with Chelsea. But yeah, they've got to bring in players like Lauren James, who I think actually was injured at the start of last season, really took a while to sort of fi- just sort of find her groove. And But it's so exciting. And then I agree, Sam, I'd, I'd like to see them get a lot more out of Jessie Fleming because we saw what a big-time player and baller she is at the Olympics. Like, you have to keep on testing these players out Fran Kirby surely can't have such a big workload as she did last year because she's broken down a bit at the Olympics. And they work, teams will look to try and cut out that Kirby-to-Kerr connection and vice versa because that's what Barcelona did so well as well. They, they dried up that supply chain. They just killed it off. So, yeah, it, it is exciting. And I think, but I think that's a challenge that they'll really embrace. And the one good thing about Sam Kerr is she's a very selfless player. She delights in her teammates scoring goals as much as she loves scoring. So 
as we talked about, I think early in the season where it was, she wasn't necessarily getting the goals, but she, it was her movement that was creating opportunities for teammates. She was delivering assists. And then it's one of those ones um, I've mentioned before in, in AFL, they call it like a lick of the ice cream. Sometimes you give the assists and someone else gets goals and other days it's you that scores the goals because it all comes back around. Like, yeah, I, I just don't see any reason why they won't be the team to beat yet again. Cause it's, it's difficult being the hunted, but at least you know you've been there, done that. And I think that's something that they can really take on and flourish. I think you're right. They're still such a, on paper, such a dominant force and, you know, in games as well. But I think the difference this season will be that the Arsenals and the Man Cities will be more in it. So I think that those will those matches will be a little bit more exciting and spicy this season. I'm actually really looking forward to it and looking forward to teams potentially challenging Chelsea in that, in that regard. But yeah, and they don't seem to, they haven't had a lot of movement in and out, which is a really great sign as well. I mean, like why change something that's already fantastic, you know? So Hayes knows what she's doing. In the sense of title challenges, I think the first four rounds, three to four rounds are going to be really, really interesting in that respect because Chelsea are going to be facing the the clubs that you would expect to be challenging for the Super League title. So they've got Arsenal first up this weekend. They've got Manchester United and then they've got Manchester City. And what's really curious about those huge games being so soon in the season is that a lot of the players, particularly at Chelsea and Manchester City, haven't had full pre-seasons. They were given breaks after Tokyo. I think Chelsea, there were 11 starting senior players who didn't have full pre-seasons as a result of going to Tokyo. And I think Man City, it's even more. Almost their entire starting 11 pretty much has had to uh, take a break after Tokyo. So how that affects the teams in, in this part of the season, I think is going to almost sort of determine how things could look towards the end, like a bit of a butterfly flapping its wings now creates a bit of a hurricane down the end of the road. Um, because this, you know, these are the kinds of teams there that they're all so good, but they're all so close together as well. Like one, one or two points dropped here or there. We saw at the end of the last season, right? One or two points can separate one and two and can separate teams from, you know, from qualifying for Europe to just skating onto the next season. So yeah, how, how that affects them, whether or not some of these teams are quite rusty as a result of playing in Tokyo and being given these kinds of preseason breaks, that, that could uh, could determine things. Sam, it was literally one amazing Anne Katrin Berger save last season that really right, right. against Man City, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully it's a spicy one against them. That's I think that's all we can ask for. Oh yeah. I'm here for spice. I'm here for chaos. I'm here for one and two points. Cause that's like, that's what we want. Right. Like ultimately, uh, like I, I'm a Liverpool fan. Everyone who's listened to this podcast for a while knows I'm a Liverpool fan, you know how I feel about Liverpool in terms of their women's team. So uh, the way that I look at the FAWSL, I, I watch it largely as a neutral. I don't really have a club in the traditional kind of way, but because of that, and because of seeing moments like that, where a game is decided by a single save, it makes it so exciting. And I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm quite privileged in the sense that I can put myself in the shoes of people who are perhaps a little bit newer to women's football and who are neutrals and can watch these kinds of games from that perspective and be like, holy shit, this is really exciting. This is so much better than what I expected. And, you know, you're going to want to watch more of it. You're going to watch so many more kinds of clubs outside of the one that you're perhaps traditionally associated with because you're new to it. And that's great because that's what we want. Marissa, you're a Man U fan, yeah? 
but we're not talking about that today. Um, and we can discuss it. Where are you going with this? I just, I'm curious. What it, What is it like to be like a fan of a team that's like kind of good? Because the rest <laughs> of us can't relate. <laughs> you know, like we're all like, yes, spicy meatballs, boo, but like two West Ham fans and a Liverpool fan, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I, we, we will, we'll come back to this when we talk about teams that don't have Australians, but we can stick in Manchester and talk about Manchester City, who are the other team that has uh, been challenging, being the kind of right on the heels of Chelsea, particularly last season. And they've only gone and bagged themselves some Australians as well. So we need to talk about that. Angela, I am curious uh, on your thoughts about the moves for Hayley Razo and Alana Kennedy to Man City. Do you think that it's a good move for both of those players? I think it's yes. Short answer, yes. Um, both in the sense that they'll be playing together, which is really exciting. Um, I think it's really great to see, you know, Matilda's matchups at club level. Um, and both good, good in different senses for the two of them. For Rasso, I think she's she talked about it when she signed that um, it's probably going to be a little bit of a tussle for her to get, you know, game time, but that's going to be good for her in terms of um, developing her game and in terms of the t- sort of player that she is, you know, the Zoomies. Um, she will fit in well, I think, with the city style once she, or if she, once, once she, with, when the minutes come. Um, Alana Kennedy. So I was not expecting that though. I think, and you know, I think Rasso could have plotted along at Everton and, and played another really good season there. But it, it's great to see her push and and go into a really high quality side like City without the guarantee of you know playing every single game and, and being a starter, but having that eye to develop. I guess I just already said that. But for Kennedy, it's a massive step up. I don't like and the big thing, you know, if you listen to this podcast podcast when we were talking about FAWCL last season, we were just tut 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 at Alana Kennedy for not playing in centre back. So that's going to be the big question, I think. That was everyone's sort of question when this came up in the group chat is where is she going to play and will it be centre back? Please, please let it be centre back, you know. So I I was very surprised by both of the signings. I just I hadn't, maybe that's just like tall poppy syndrome, the Australian me. I just didn't expect it because City is a fantastic club and they've got fantastic facilities, fantastic setup. They're one of the greats in women's football. But in hindsight, it makes sense that we've got Tillys going over there because our Tillys are really good. So, um, yes, a good move. But like I said, maybe someone else can touch on this. Alana Kennedy, where are you going to play, love? What are you doing? What's the game plan? Tell us. We'll find out. We'll find out. But anyway, Sam? It's the golden question. I it's I think of all of the Australians who I'm most excited to see this season, it's Alana Kennedy. And it's for two wildly different reasons, right? Because number one, she is surrounded by, as you mentioned, Angela, a, a fantastic, fantastic team, amazing facilities, a really good coach, all the kind of structural things that you need around a player for them to improve. On the other hand, she could absolutely Alana Kennedy this and almost single-handedly derail this this season of Manchester City. It's going to be either complete brilliance because she turns into a world-class centre-back who is really consistent and can play at the top level all the time, or 
it's going to be complete chaos. And I'm here for both. I'm here for either and I'm here for both because it's going to be hilarious and really exciting and really fun either way. Um, but outside of the Kennedy question, I mean, like it's sort of, I think it's probably assumed based on the movements of other players that she will be playing at centre-back because Abby Dahlkemper, the US Women's National Team player, she was partnering uh, Steph Horton at, at Man City at centre-back for quite a while. But Dahlkemper has recently signed with Houston over in the NWSL, so she won't be returning to that spot. And so there's a big question mark, I guess, over who was going to take over that role. And particularly given Steph Horton is getting towards the twilight of her career, you would sort of assume that this might be the, the last or the penultimate season for her at club level as well. And so maybe Man City are trying to plan ahead in that sense, trying to find a, an up-and-coming centre-back or a younger centre-back who is in a position to be able to step up and take over the reins, not just of Dorkemmer, but perhaps even of a Steph Horton. And how brilliant would it be if Alana Kennedy was able to do that? You know, I think I feel like our relationship with Alana Kennedy has sort of been quite tumultuous over the last couple of years because it's always felt like she has so much potential that she can be this brilliant centre-back, that we can feel about her the same way that we feel about Claire Polkinghorne, for example. But she, she's just never really quite been able to reach that. Or if she has, it's been in glimpses. She's never been able to do it consistently. But she's now in a space, in a team, in an environment surrounded by players playing against players that can really forge her in this spot and, and make her the, the centre-back that I think we've all wanted her to be. I think this is the perfect move for Alana Kennedy. Um, she likes to be a ball-playing centre-back. That's one of the reasons why she liked playing defensive midfield. She likes getting on the ball. She's played City Football Group style before. She played at Melbourne City for a little bit. This is obviously a step up. She is the perfect centre-back for Manchester City. Um, I think the important thing to remember is she is rarely going to be under um, defensive pressure all the time, whereas at Tottenham, had she played centre-back, a lot more pressure. So she will get a lot of time on the ball. She'll get to work further on what is a great strength of hers in terms of her passing, her distribution, her vision, all things that make her an outstanding player. I agree with you, Sam. I think she's going to be playing at centre-back based around player movements. Also, City described her as a versatile defender. So <laughs> that hints, as opposed to Tottenham describing her as a midfielder who could play centre-back, it indicates to me she'll play in defence. Um, City also have a pretty stacked in terms of their midfield options. So I don't think Alana would necessarily crack it in that role. She seems like a logical option for them defensively. She should be coming into the prime of her career. She's 26, so right to really blossom as a player. Playing consistently every week um, alongside, I imagine, initially Steph Horton, and then we'll see, I guess, what the future holds for her in terms of further partnerships down the line. I, I just think it's a fantastic move for her. She, playing at a top club is what she needs. There's high standards, there's high expectations. If you don't perform, you can get dropped. Like, that's what happens with title contenders and challenges. Like, we saw even Sam Kerr spend time on the bench at Chelsea, for example. If you're if you're a really good player at a really good club, it doesn't actually matter what level you're at because you still have to maintain really high standards. And, and City are a team that will be stinging after just missing out on the title last year. So the approach they would have taken to these players is you are players that can come in and help us go one step better. We're not bringing you in to maintain second place in this league. Our standards are high. We want to win the champion. We want to win the title again. And you're going to help us do that. So I think it's a great move for Alana Kennedy. We've mentioned before time and time again about how we want to see her play centre-back so she can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with players like Vivian Miedema and now Nikita Paris and 
obviously Sam Kerr and Peniel Harder, like this is going to be great for her. Um, and yeah, Sam, you're right. She is prone to the odd clanger. It can be chaotic. Hopefully playing alongside some really level-headed defenders will be perfect for her. I'm really interested to see how Hayley Razzo goes because on the surface for me, she is not a city player. Like she is not a technical, um, smooth-moving clever passing little diagonal sort of player that they usually like to have she is just raw hustle bustle energy power um we know what Hayley Razo brings so I'm excited to see how her game can evolve again because one thing that I really like about Razo is she likes to work on her game and get better she did it at Portland she did it again at Everton she's consistently worked to improve different areas of her game and I think this is going to be a real challenge for her especially if she hasn't really, you know, made her, her mark before Chloe Kelly gets back from that ACL late in the season because Chloe Kelly, super player. I'll also be interested to see where Razo initially plays because um, you would think Esme Morgan will deputise for Lucy Bronze initially um, at right back, right back, but they have probably recruited Razo knowing that if they have to, they can drop her back. I think she'll play forward. I think she'll deliver the things that we're used to from Hayley Razo, but I'm really excited to see how she can further develop her game in terms of that patience, in terms of that passing, in terms of assessing her options and maybe not blazing away like she can at times. I'm hoping that this sort of more patient style that City use can can really add something else to her game because she's still quite young as well. So yeah, I think it's a great move for both players. I don't think you ever really complain when your national team players are going to top clubs to actually play a role as well. You think Alana Kennedy will start, Hayley Razor will want to push to start. It's not like they're squaddies that are going to get sent out on loan somewhere and it's not a real big signing. It's not like when we've seen some Australian men's players sign for Manchester City and you know they're going to get loaned out somewhere else or sold off somewhere else. These players are actually here to make a difference at one of the biggest clubs in the world. And I think it's so exciting. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be great to have another pair of Aussies in contention for these titles, in contention for silverware, because we all know how much they were all stinging after the Olympics when they missed out on medals. Being in big games more often, having the big moments more often, I, I just think they're only going to get better and better from it. Because I'm hoping it, it goes, <laughs> goes the positive way rather than the chaos route. I expect that. But also I want chaos. <laughs> But another, speaking of sort of like exciting new recruits, another player that I wanted to touch on very briefly at Man City is the recruitment of Bunny Shaw, uh, the Jamaican forward who has recently been absolutely carving it up in France, playing for Bordeaux the last couple of seasons. Uh, she's still young, but she is absolutely electric. And I think one of the things that sort of similar perhaps to Arsenal chat when it comes to Man City is they are a little bit over-dependent on my Ellen wife, Ellen White. And we saw sort of the consequences of that, particularly after Chloe Kelly was taken out injured. You know, Man City's goal return, I think, slumped quite a bit after that. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to see Khadija Shaw. She is really just an absolute weapon of a player. And she offers something very, very different, I think, to Ellen White. White is a very classic number nine, a kind of sort of like Harry Kane-esque number nine that obviously England adores because that is the the quintessential England number nine. But I think Khadija Shaw is something very different and she brings an energy and a spark and a dynamic that Man City perhaps haven't had for a little while. And by virtue of that, I think they're going to be really, really, if if we're sort of picking Chelsea as the team to beat, I think Man City are really going to be even further up there than what they were last season, just by virtue of some of the players that they've brought in. 
And Sam, isn't that what's great as well about Hayley Razo signing is she can be unpredictable and she will just totally. go at defenders. Like if you've got players like Shaw and Razo who can do the unpredictable here and there and can cause a little bit of chaos, like maybe that's something that City really need rather than just being pure structure. Yeah, I was just about to say it's going to be exciting to watch City, which I haven't felt that way in a little while because I usually associate <laughs> City as playing quite boring football. Yes. And, that's, and that's a shame because they do have really exciting players. And also I'm, I'm quite happy that um, Rasso has <laughs> had a little like enemies to friends, I guess, storyline here with Lucy Bronze and Lauren Hemp. And now she gets to play alongside them instead of, beating up on them <laughs> on the field. So that'll be cute. But speaking of Olympics, a player that had a really great Olympics that has now moved over to the FAWSL is Kaya Simon for Tottenham. So, Sam, do you think that Kaya is going to bring that great Olympic form to the Spurs, to Spurs? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think we, I think Kaya has rediscovered something in herself that she has maybe been missing over the last couple of seasons. Um, and being in an environment like Tottenham, is it's it's very different to I think some of the the spaces the, some of the clubs that she's been playing in most recently like she was at PSV last season with Amy Harrison in the Netherlands um, but the you know the standard competition there that's it's not it's not really comparable I don't think to a, a place like Tottenham um, or to a club like Tottenham rather so and I, I'm also curious when it comes to Kaya Simon how she's actually going to be utilised. Um, we know that one of Tottenham's biggest, biggest, biggest weaknesses last season was goal scoring. And even though they brought Alex Morgan in, she wasn't really able to deliver on, on the promise of that. Um, I, yeah, so I'm, I'm curious if, if Kaya, because during the Olympics and the, so the Kaya Simon that we've known the last couple of years has been more of a wide forward, but we've sort of seen her, even though she's been deployed in that way, particularly across when she was at Tokyo, she almost plays better when she's central and she's more dangerous when she's central. And so I wonder if Tottenham have maybe seen that and are going to give her a little bit more license to be more of the kind of centre forward that she seems to be capable of being. Um, but beyond that, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to seeing her having a consistent and injury-free season. I think that's the biggest thing for me because when she does have one of those, like when she did when she was at Melbourne City in the W League a couple of seasons ago, she carried that into those Olympic qualifiers and was absolutely blistering. Um, her injury history has been pretty, been pretty patchy. And I think that's sort of part of the reason perhaps why she didn't have as good of a season at PSV as what she may have wanted. There were a couple of little niggles there that kept her on the sidelines for a little bit. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm just, I'm hoping that it's a good consistent season for her. Tottenham's a, a big club. They've got some really good players, but they're also, I think, at the moment in a stage where they're still building towards something and maybe bringing in a player who's, who's experienced as Kaya, who has the sort of winning mentality of Kaya and who has, you know, the, the hunger for, for, for results as Kaya does. I think that could be a really important mentality shift for the, the rest of the team as well. And she's coming in off such a good international stint like as you mentioned Sam you just want to see her stay fit she got over that injury that she had at PSV that ruled her out of a fair bit of that season she built her fitness came into the Matildas was a bit rusty Angela backed her in to make the squad and she did and then she was superb like and that's just got to do wonders for a player going into a new club Carson Simon would know she could play at this level she knows at her best she can pick apart so many defenses it's I think it's a great move for her because there's not necessarily the expectation of one of the real contenders. But if you're Spurs, as you say, Sam, you're looking to build, but you go, why don't we have a ping at trying to make that 
third place, you know? Like, I think that's the one where you go, can we have a real crack? Someone like Kaya Simon just straightens up your attack. She, she can create goals, she can score goals. And I think she's the player that they need to build their attack around because she can just make things happen. It's an exciting move for her. Hopefully she can get lots of games under her belt. And, um, yeah, I think it's just great to see another player over in the FAWSL and hopefully and get a bit more vision of her as well because that was one of the difficult things, I think, for us, especially as a pod. You're like, let's have a little look at Soccerway. Let's try and find some highlights on the PSV Instagram page. But you actually get a really good look at how she's going. And, yeah, I think she can really make a mark there. I think she's done well mostly she's been in bar injuries and I've got no reason to believe she she won't do it again so it's exciting I think for me when I saw that Simon had signed initially I was thinking of it in terms of what Spurs looked like last season I was like she would she would be perfect she's gonna like really add to their attack and and bring in yeah what you what you said Sam that what they were lacking but for Spurs, it, it's going to be interesting because there's so there's been such a high turnover of players that also what they as a whole team are going to look like. And those initial few games, I imagine, will be a little bit interesting in terms of, you know, that initial gelling phase and, and all of those things in terms of rebuilding a whole team. And I suppose as well, like the, the middle of the FAWSL table, I'm hoping is going to be a bit more dynamic this is, I say this as a West Ham fan as well. Like there were a couple of teams last season that just felt like they were just on the cusp of contesting. It was almost like a second competition in the middle there, but like not quite. And so that will be really interesting. I suppose West Ham is sort of doing the same thing. So not just what they're going to look like this season, but their game plan moving forward as well. And what the ongoing project for Spurs will be is intriguing. Um but yeah, I think even taking that into consideration that I don't, I'm looking at the names on paper, I don't really know a lot of these players. Kaya Simon is excellent. And so she's definitely definitely going to bring value and hopefully we do see her um, forming a, a core part of their attack. The other thing that I meant to mention before is she's joined on a two-year deal, which is exciting. It takes her through to the World Cup. Same thing with Alana Kennedy and Hayley Razo at Man City. They've all made decisions that lock in their futures up to that World Cup on home soil, which really excites me. Um, and on that note, hopefully we see some movement on that front at some point with like Sam Kerr, Steph Catley, Caitlin Ford, whose contracts I think all sort of come up maybe next year. Like at some point in 2022, Sam Kerr signed a two and a half year deal. I think Ford was the same and Catley might have been a two year deal. So I think it's really important for our players to have some stability leading into that. Um, we know that they'll have the Asian Cup and various friendlies. And then it's going to be the Women's World Cup. So the last thing you want to see is players in a year's time having to make big decisions on their club future. You want them to be able to be settled, to be happy where they're playing, to be hitting form and to not have too much disruption and having to, say, uproot their lives from, I don't know, England to France or London to Manchester every second year. You know, you want them to get some consistency, be happy where they're playing. And then the only real disruption is what goes on in terms of their international football. Um, and that's, that's what really excites me about Simon, who sort of jumped around a bit in recent years. And also, to a lesser extent, Kennedy and Raza. We know so many players made that leap last year. They're all going to get time to sort of bed down at their clubs, really try and make an impression, get lots of game time under their belt and feel settled and ready to take on what's to come with Matildas. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting position to be in, I think. 
So last but not least, when it comes to clubs with Aussies, we can't forget about West Ham with two West Ham Nuffies on the pod. So, Angela, I know you have spoken about this a lot, but I'm happy for you to continue on your merry way talking about West Ham and what you think that what you think Mackenzie Arnold and particularly Tamika Yollop, who's uh, a new signing for them, what you think they're going to bring to the Hammers this season and how you think they're going to go. Because they weren't great last season, to put it softly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I like, so when I saw that Tamika Yallop had signed, so she was a pretty early announcement for them. And like I said, they're in a pretty similar as a team pretty similar stage of their life cycle. In fact, like Spurs and West Ham had very similar seasons last season, very similar ailments in a lot of ways, had a coaching change mid-season, a lot of disruption, and are now both looking to rebuild and start a new project and I think prove themselves. So for both of those teams, it's going to be very exciting. But of course, my personal alliances mean that West Ham is more interesting. Um, And Tamika Yallop, it's really, I think, She's going to be really, really important for this West Ham side, both in terms of like what she can provide as an attacking midfielder. We know what she looks like when she's on form. She's fantastic. She's explosive. She creates um, and she's got fantastic shot when she's on, um, but as well as like leadership um, in that midfield. And I suppose it will just be sort of what, was happening with Eve it will be giving her the license to do all the things that she's good at and to play in a position that suits her um we did see in the friendlies leading up to the olympics her playing unusual positions um and i don't think she was like for example on the wing i don't think she was bad at that but i think she's best suited in that that central role um and so, and West Ham have had a bit of movement in terms of their midfield as well so that will be really important as well so they had Kenza Dali leave and she was kind of important in that space last season um, and Emily Van Egmond as well. So it, it's a big, big shoes to fill, but I, I, I know that Mix would be up for the, up for the job. And also she's worked under um, Ollie Harder before at Clep. So that connection there, um, he obviously sees a lot of um, value in her. Otherwise they wouldn't have signed it. Um, yeah. Maka. It's a a different story. Um, I think it will just be like, I feel like she didn't completely prove herself last season as being a fantastic goalkeeper and that she has a little way to go, but that she can get there. I think just the consistency for this upcoming upcoming season will be important. Um, And, yeah, I think it's great that she's in a position where she's the number one keeper and she's going to be getting consistent minutes and she's going to be able to put in the time and, and work hard there. So, yeah, I think the fact that she's um, going into her second season with West Ham, as Anna said, stability is really important and I think that's a really good position for her to be in. So I don't think about Mackenzie Arnold. If she should have a real fire in the belly to prove something this season. She lost her Matilda's um, number two goalkeeper spot. I think entering that FAWSL, last FAWSL season, even partway through it when she was playing really well, she surely would have been thinking she could push for the number one goalkeeper spot. But her performances at Matilda's level then let her down and ultimately she actually missed the original squad for the Olympics behind Tegan Micah and Lydia Williams and then was obviously included in the 22 as one of the alternates. But she's clearly number three in the pecking order right now. We mentioned before with Lydia Williams, need to prove a point. But Mackenzie Arnold's young. 
she's been in this setup for a long time. She's close friends with a lot of the biggest names in the Matildas. She'll be wanting to prove a point. She had a really good season with West Ham last year, bar, as you mentioned, Angel, the odd clangers. She was, I think, statistically the most efficient in terms of shot stopping. She'll have a point to prove. And that's that's really exciting. New manager as well. So that means that everyone has a clean slate. What you did last year doesn't have as much of a bearing. So again, you've got to prove that you want to be your number one goalkeeper there. Maintain that spot. Keep some really good form. Work on the areas you need to improve on and get better. So it's exciting for her. The thing with Tamiki Yalop is I'm, I'm not sure when we'll first see her. Um, I know that um, this is that she was in hotel quarantine. Emily Van Egmon was another was came back to hotel quarantine, like some of um, uh, I think like Ikara Cooney Crosses and that came back to Australia. So I'm not sure when she is planning to head over to London or if she has already, but you'd have to think that casts some doubt on her early availability given she wouldn't have trained with her team yet. So hopefully we do um, see her relatively early on and I agree, Angela. She's got all the attributes to shine. She shines in every league she goes to to make it up with her work rate, her explosiveness, her her forward runs. They're, they're an asset to any team. So, yeah, it, it'll be exciting to see what both of them can deliver. And we sort of know that Maka is going to be given consistent and regular minutes across her season at West Ham because the only other goalkeeper that they have on the books, and shout out to all of our Kiwi friends of the pod, is Annalite, who is uh, a young emerging New Zealand goalkeeper who went to Tokyo and she's sort of largely seen as the as the heir to uh, to, to that throne. So that'll be really exciting for, for her, especially her first fully professional season abroad. Um, and it'll be it'll be a good a good sort of platform, I think, for for Maka, perhaps to start to you know teach and pass on the things that she's learning to uh, another goalkeeper as well. Sometimes that can uh, help to solidify things for yourself. You know, when you're all of a sudden responsible for passing on lessons and and developing a player who's younger than you as well. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm excited to see how Maka responds. I think that that was a bit of a trial by fire her first season um, and hopefully she's learned a lot from that and yeah I mean you've you both covered it really well with with Tamika as well we all know what she offers and I think it's a particularly important signing for West Ham because they don't really seem to have much firepower up front um, they've got brought Claudia Walker in I think from Birmingham um, and outside of that I think the only out and out sort of forward that's listed outside of Canada's Adriana Leon who's more of a winger is Norma Staffer, who's quite young as well. So not really sure how they're going to go on the goal front, but they have about a billion defenders, including a new recruit in Lisa Evans, who they brought across from Arsenal, who is absolutely excellent. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know what to think of of West Ham, really. I am keen to see another Asian player, Yui Hasegawa, who's moved across from AC Milan after, I think, over 100 caps in the Japan Women's League. She's a very, very good midfielder. Um, but yeah, they seem like a, a bit of a, an interesting project, I think. Again, similar like parallels with Tottenham. I think we're, they've had a big turnover of players, new manager, new system, new vibe. And let's just sort of see how they go. And also it's exciting in that Oli Harder has a record of, you know, switching things up and turning teams around. So that, which is what he did at Clip. So fingers crossed he can do the same here, please. And thank you, Oli. Um, <laughs> just speaking of, I suppose, goal scorers for West Ham. They've lost their two top scorers from last season, Martha Thomas, who's moved over to Man United, and Emily Van Egmond. So let's talk a little bit about Emily Van Egmond. She is not playing in the FAWSL this season. We're not sure 
where she's going to be playing this upcoming season, but she looks like she's having an absolutely fantastic time in Newcastle. So what what's the deal with Emily Van Egmond, Darrow? As you said, Marissa, the deal with Emily Van Egmond is she is currently back home in Newcastle, having uh, gone through the hotel quarantine system after the Olympics. It's it's fascinating because you think there would have been no shortage of suitors for her because she's a quality player. She had a good club season. Um, she's an experienced international. It's it's a strange one. And you'd have to think she'll have to make a decision at some point because obviously the options are return overseas or play in the W League. But looking at things logically, you'd think with a couple of international breaks to come, there will be some Matildas friendlies at some point. If they get announced, you know, we'll be talking about it. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed we get some. But if they are in, if there are Matildas friendlies, they're surely going to be overseas based on the Socceroos' failure to get those World Cup qualifiers in Australia. So you'd think if the Matildas get back in action anytime soon, it will be in Europe, which means players like Emily Van Egmont will have to fly overseas again. And then if she wanted to come back and play W League, that's going to involve another stint in hotel quarantine, which from what I've heard, I've not experienced it personally, is not the most fun experience in the world, especially not for a professional athlete. So she's going to have to make a decision at some point, whether she wants to maybe play W League, whether she wants to go back overseas and what that means for her in terms of her Matildas, um, her short-term Matildas future. Um, because, you know, clearly it'd be very difficult to plan to play W League, head overseas, come back, do hotel quarantine, play W League, and then, you know, be looking to probably go overseas with the Matildas again. So it's going to be interesting. She's a quality player. We know she can slot into plenty of teams. It's just what she wants to do, I guess. And, what her management can make work for her. We know she's played in Germany. Um, she's done it in the UK. I know she, it seems like she's had interest in, from France before. Like she's a quality player who could pick up a contract at plenty of clubs, I'm sure. It just seems to depend what she wants. Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? And it's a question that I think a couple of other Matildas currently playing in Scandinavia might also need to be asking themselves because that sort of pattern of going and playing in a Norway or a, a Sweden or uh, an Iceland and then coming back to play W League is as, as sort of a well-trodden path for a lot of Matildas. And we've got you know, a couple of players who are currently playing in those leagues who may have had some thoughts about coming back to Australia for the off-season. And so given the nature of hotel quarantine, given Matilda's ambitions, given how leagues are going elsewhere, you know, those are all things that these players are going to have to try and figure out. And I would hope that they're being represented by agents or managers who are taking all these kinds of things into consideration and at least giving the players some element of um, empowerment to, to make these choices and to make sure that they're fully informed choices as well. I think it would be a real shame if Van Egmond doesn't go back to Europe soon. Um, she's too good a player, I think, to spend time sort of hanging around while her teammates accelerate away and start to get some really good minutes under their belts, particularly in the lead-up to the Asian Cup next year, which I I mean, it's, that's sort of a big question mark, I think, as well, not just in terms of if it's going to go ahead, but also in terms of the kind of team that perhaps Tony Gustafson is going to be playing there because it's not like we really need to compete, right, because we've already qualified for the World Cup, which the Asian Cup is, is meant to be the sort of the route for um, by virtue of us hosting it. So there's sort of licence there to be a bit more experimental. There's licence there for some perhaps more regular starting Matildas to have a bit of a break. Um, but whether they want that, 
again, another question for them to answer. I think that she should probably try and find somewhere like a Germany um, to, to really flourish because it feels like that is the kind of league where her skills are best utilised. I feel like maybe England is not the best space for that in the same way that uh, America was not the best space for that. But there are definitely leagues uh, available to her where that kind of thing can um, can be really useful. And maybe even she could follow the road less taken and uh, go alongside Alex Chidiak to Japan because that's another league that is very technical and that's something that she might be able to really enjoy and add some more skills to her belt. So there are plenty of options, but, you know, time's ticking, and Come on, you gotta you got to do something here, love. You feel for these players because a lot of them haven't seen their families in a long time. Um, there's the frustration in terms of wanting to get back, but say for our UK-based players in terms of pre-season, there wasn't time to come home and quarantine and then have to go to England. And I think you have to do like five for days hotel court or home quarantine as well. So you, in terms of the time, it just doesn't add up. Like you kind of have to go to places where you don't need to quarantine upon arrival. So, yeah, I, I don't envy them having to make these decisions. And I imagine getting that window to come home would have been quite appealing. But at, at some point, you have to think she'll make a decision um, and you'd like to back her in to think that she'll make the right one because we all love seeing her play <laughs> and when she's at her best and when she's in that freewheeling role, she can be such an exciting player. And as you said, Sam, such an important player for these Matilda and such an experienced head. And the, I imagine as a competitive athlete, as you say, Sam, the last thing you want to see is your team, your teammates just streaking away and playing some really good football when, when you're not there and, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where she lands, whether it's Europe, whether it's the US, whether it's Asia. Like it's, yeah. Most important thing, I think, is we see her back playing football sooner rather than later. So those are the Aussies in the FAWSL, but let's quickly go through the other clubs because as much as we make it seem, there are other teams that don't have Aussies in this competition. So we will do a vibe check on the rest of the clubs in the FAWSL. So who would like to give the vibe check for Leicester, the newly promoted side for this season. It's always excitement, isn't it, when you've just been promoted? It was the vibe that we had around Aston Villa last season. Now, I know they had to battle for relegation, but the main thing you want is to not go straight back down again. So imagine you'll get some very, how should I put it, astute defending against top teams, trying not to cop big scorelines, as we saw happen to um, teams like Bristol last season. Like you just... You just want to make sure that you defend well and a bit of damage limitation. But also, like in other games, just go for it. Like make an impact, try and get some points on the board, try and start the season well. Because if you can start your season, you can gather a bit of a momentum. But if you get smashed about a bit in the early rounds, it can be hard to pick yourself back up again. So, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily know what to make of Leicester, but you've got to at least go in with some excitement. I just like that... Everything they're doing kind of from an optics point of view looks really good. Like they look like they care. They've made some decent signings. They're going to be playing a lot of their games at the King Power Stadium, the men's stadium. So I just, I like the vibe that Leicester is putting forward. So I want them to do well based on that as much as anything. And they they won the league by a full eight points, had a goal difference of 38. They got into the into the top tier of women's football by clearly playing attacking football and going for it. So it gives you some hope that although they might play more pragmatically at times, they should go for it sometimes. And that's exciting. Well, look, we'll move on to the next vibe check. So Sam, talk to us about Everton. 
Everton are really looking like they can do something this season. I think they, they've they been building up to this moment for the last couple of seasons. Last season was really exciting from them, but they seemed to peter off towards the, the back end. But they've made a couple of absolutely incredible recruitments over the offseason under Willie Kirk. And I think that the areas in which they were let down last season are going to be filled by those players. So one of them is the... Grand old return of Tony Duggan, who has come back from Spain where she was playing with Atletico Madrid. She's come back to Everton uh, and, and sort of sweeping across Europe as well. I think a lot of really clever signings. Um, Aurora Galli from Juventus, the, the Italian, has come across because Everton, I think, were sort of struggling towards the back end of last season with trying to put consistent goals away. And they were quite heavily reliant on players like Rasso and also Izzy Christensen, who, thank God, is still around and is still going to be a, a huge part of this Everton side. But I don't think it's going to be as um, necessary for them to get some serious results as what she was last season. One player that I'm really, really excited to see is a Swedish midfielder named Hannah Benison, who uh, is 17 years old, 18 years old. She was linked with Lyon before she moved to Everton this season. She won a silver medal with Sweden at the Tokyo Olympics and is widely regarded as one of the best up-and-coming midfielders in the women's game. The fact that Everton have snapped her up, I think, is just an extraordinary bit of business. I don't know how they did it, um, but uh, Jonas you know, Ed- Edeval has described her as the, the potential to be the best player in the world which is pretty cool considering he was playing, he was coaching rather in Sweden, seeing what this young player can do at her age. So her alongside a whole bunch of other really cool um, sort of Scandinavian signings, Natalie Bjorn's come across, Anna Anvergaard as well, who both played under Edeval at Rosengard as well, both still quite young, uh, both really good goal scorers. So yeah, I think just overall Everton are looking really, really solid and I would not be surprised if they actually make it to Europe. Angela, what's the vibe check at Reading? Dowie FC. Dowie FC. Just very excited to hopefully see her score lots of goals for Reading. Um, and great to see her back in there better. FAWSL. You, you know, we, we missed her last season for, for the VAC, so it'll be good. I mean, they won the championship, Angela. <laughs> I was going to say, did, did we, like, respectfully, did we miss her? Just being nice. <laughs> you need to get presence in the league, that's for sure. But no, Delhi FC needs no explanation. We love a Delhi FC. I keep forgetting that Reading are like, like, like they're decent. They're pretty good. I just think I don't pay attention because they don't have any Australians, but I'm much more inclined to watch what they're going to be doing this season with, with Dowie there. Sam, Manchester United vibe check. Oh, boy. This is going to be really interesting. So it sort of feels like Man United are just teetering on the verge of collapsing. Um, They had such a great first season under Casey Stoney at this level, but towards the back end, I think there was, there started to be some rumbles and we saw that Casey Stoney had been plucked from England and is now signed with uh, a new NWSL club, San Diego. She's going to be taking over as head coach there. We have seen the loss of a, couple of really significant players so the, the two Americans Tobin Heath and Kristen Press have both gone um, Jess Sigsworth uh, Amy Turner as well who was a really important figure in that centre-back line um, of Man United last season all of them are gone 
And they've been taken over by uh, a head coach who uh, I think a lot of people have a lot of question marks around, Mark Skinner, who uh, has history in the FAWSL. He coached Birmingham for a little while. Then he moved across to America and coached Orlando, but didn't really have the best kind of reception there. So now he's come across to Man U um, and I, I just, I don't know how I'm feeling about it. I mean, Stoney complained towards the end of her tenure that the club weren't supporting the women's team in the way that they have sort of made it out to be in terms of their optics, um, that they haven't really been given the same treatment, the same facilities, any of the sort of stuff that it seems like they were being given on the surface. And I think this is a, an example as well of the you know how significant a loss a head coach can really be because we spoke so often last season of how crucial and how central Stoney was to the culture of this Man United squad that I think one of the, the well-worn phrases of ours was that they would run through walls for her. I don't know if they're going to run through walls for Mark Skinner. I don't feel like he's that kind of a coach. Um, Stoney was a, a very particular kind of person and I think she built a really deep a bone deep sense of trust and community among these players such that they would absolutely just do anything and and all things for each other and for her and it sort of feels like the the loss of her is going to lead to this sort of like the the collapse of a of a of a star so everything around it is sort of just going to scatter and and warp and it's not quite going to be the same so yeah, so that's sort of my vibe. It's it's like a, just a gigantic, like galaxy-sized question mark over Manchester United because I think the, the loss of someone as charismatic and as important as Casey Stoney in that dressing room is, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to make that back up. But, yeah, um, Mark Skinner, don't like the cut of his jib. And if you haven't um, seen it already, some of the comments from Orlando Pride players once he had left and they had started playing under, I'm not sure if it's a full new coach or an interim coach, but things along the line of we just feel so much freer now, we feel better now. It's like, well, that's telling, isn't it? So definitely one to keep an eye on. Really quick for the last couple of clubs, vibe check for the likes of Birmingham and Billard, you'd have to think relegation battle. Yep. Birmingham vibe's been bad for a while, hasn't it? So Yes, very much so. Mm, yeah and Aston Villa's vibes last season were weird so you just like just try and focus on yourselves do that work and hopefully don't have a weird coaching situation but the weirdest Villa have done a bit of recruiting at least they've signed a couple of you know players that we know can play at the level Alicia Lehman is one and um, Maz Pacheco is another who has shown some glimpses as well so sometimes a couple of smart recruitments can do a bit but I mean, I think we agree that they're going to have to fight it out again. They also have a new head coach as well. Carla Ward has left Birmingham to move across to Aston Villa and she's actually a very, very good head coach. If anyone remembers anything about what happened, like what Birmingham as a a team were facing in terms of their management and the resources from the club and stuff, the fact that Carla Ward were able to keep them in the FAWSL at all is pretty miraculous. Like she, and Birmingham played some really good football as well. Like they had some good players. She used them well, or despite all the injury issues that she had to sort of deal with, she I think she managed them very, very well in the circumstances. So going to a club like Villa, which seems to have a bit more support around it, a um, little bit more stability, um, sort of, you know, structure-wise, hopefully that is a, a good sign for the club and for Ward um, and for the players. 
Yeah, you'd hate for her to have another season where she's having to like fight against yeah. the club to try and get things done. So hopefully there's also been a bit of a culture shift at Birmingham. Birmingham. Um, so that that's not a thing as well because, I, yeah, who, who knows how things could have panned out for them if they didn't have someone like Carla Ward advocating for the team last season. I think the one exciting thing for them is that they have hired um, Scott Booth as their new manager who had a really, really successful time with Glasgow City um, six years. Obviously, they were clearly the dominant team in that league, but he still kept them up there. And I think the exciting thing is they've signed him on a three-year deal, which shows that they are looking just beyond this season. So they've got ambitions. He clearly would back himself in to keep them up and to try and build something. So both those coaching appointments, um, hopefully can give a little bit of spark to these teams and they can prove us wrong. And just finally, Brighton, I feel like they really became kind of best of the rest and really built some momentum, particularly in the kind of middle to back half of that season. I think Hope Powell is an excellent coach. So I'm really interested to see if they can kind of take the momentum they had last season and actually take it to another level. Are there any quick thoughts on Brighton? I went for Karen from Brighton. I've really... <laughs> done all of Brighton. I've <laughs> <laughs> done all of Brighton. But no, so really hope because I think, you know, it's good for the likes of Brighton and whatnot to actually be up, well, not maybe up there, but at least pushing and creating something in the middle of the table as well. So those are all the teams. So let's finish up this preview with rapid fire around the Zoom. Who's winning the title, Angela? Man City. Samantha. Man City. Harrow. Chelsea. Oh, all right. I like this. Uh, who is getting relegated, Angela? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to say Birmingham. Sam? Oh, God. Um, Reading. <laughs> Reading? Okay. All right. But- <laughs> Anna, who's getting relegated? Birmingham. There's a stab in the dark, as we mentioned. So many teams, I think, are going to be battling it out. Just on that, I think it'll be, like, less that there's, like, a team that's terrible. Sorry to Bristol. I'm sorry. But, you know, like, it was pretty apparent early on um, and more that the competition is strengthened. That's what I'm hoping for anyway. Mm. I think it'll probably be a proper dogfight for relegation, which is a good thing. Yeah. I'm not saying that necessarily there's going to be a bunch of teams that are going to be rubbish, but I think I don't think there's going to be, as Angela says, one clear, necessarily really, really bad team. Relegation chaos. We love to see that. And finally, who's winning the Golden Boot? Angela? Amy. <laughs> Sam? <laughs> oh, God. I hate making these decisions. Um, Bunny Shaw. Oh, Anna? a good one sam i'm gonna back sam kerr in it's my brand i've already come to her defense once today back <laughs> her in go on sammy we've had a whole year of you backing in sam kerr now so shocking and also what? with those answers we've all got someone who could be picked on because it's like two to one yeah just yeah. realized <laughs> <laughs> oh god can i change my relegation answer i feel bad for saying reading they're gonna be fine i don't know why i said that Sam, you don't not meant to invite us to pick on you this early. I know. <laughs> no, I've not learned. I've not learned from last season. I you have a redo, but you have five seconds. 
Say Man City. <laughs> She's looking for the title. <laughs> Buddy Shaw to win the Golden Boot and get relegated. Yeah. Real uh, crumb Mid Island win energy from you, Sam. <laughs> Fuck Good. you. Just throw a spanner in and see what happens. Anyway, that's enough chaos for one episode. I'm I'm sure you all missed this. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. You can find us on Apple, Spotify and Google. So subscribe wherever you do listen and leave a review if that so takes your fancy. We're at the Far Post Pod on all social medias. We're doing a Q&A episode. So if you've ever wanted to ask us a question about anything, not anything, anything, but you know what I mean, hit us up on any one of those uh, social media platforms. But uh, until next week, Say